Welcome to the Inez Franklin Teaching and Sermons Podcast. Inez is a teaching pastor, public speaker, and founder at trochia.org. Learn more about Inez at www.inezfranklin.com. We hope this teaching brings you guidance, connection, or tools as we seek God together today. Enjoy the teaching. Post, if I can say that right, um, there is scientific uh, uh, knowledge, scientific wisdom, back reasons for why generosity is good for our health, for our mental health, for our physical health. Listen to a few reasons. It reduces stress because it lowers the stress hormone cortisol. It lowers the risk of early death because we have a sense of living with a purpose. It promotes mental health because it actually reduces depression. And it actually makes you better looking. This is scientific now. It does make you better looking because when you are generous, what is the thing that we all tend to do when we're generous? We smile. And listen, when you smile, you light up the room. That's the reality. We all agree that it's better to give than receive, right? We agree on that. But why is it that we all struggle with generosity? I mean, this is the thing with generosity. I think some of us believe we're generous. I think I'm generous. But I I know know my heart. And if I can be vulnerable and transparent with you, there's a point where I kind of stop. And I'm not as generous as I know I can be. How many of you feel like maybe it's unwise at times to be generous? Or maybe you think that sometimes you choose stinginess or, or, or holding on out of fear, perhaps that you won't have enough. Sometimes we're afraid to be generous or too generous because we might lose out. But do you want to be a more generous person? You're not sure, are you? <laughs> I get it. I'm asking you this question because I, I ask myself that question. Do you want to be more generous? I do. I do. But uh, I'm a little nervous. And so today what we're going to see is we're going to, um, we're going to look at scripture. We're going to see a beautiful picture of generosity, hopefully to encourage all of us in this area of generosity. Because I believe that the world is hurting, hurting, deeply hurting to see more cheerful and generous givers. And today, as we see Nehemiah, we're going to see a picture of generosity, which really reflects the DNA of Mariner's Church. If you're new to Mariner's Church, you've never been here before, I, want, I am so glad you're here today, because you're going to see what we are most passionate about, that we want to be a generous people, that we are blessed to be a blessing, and we want to live that out, not just say it, but actually live it out. And that's what we're going to see today. And we're going to see three aspects of generosity through Nehemiah's story. The reason I think this is so important is because the more we understand generosity, God's generosity, as we were singing in those beautiful songs this morning, the more we recognize how generous he is towards us, we cannot help but want to be generous towards others. So if you have your Bible, let us go to Nehemiah chapter 5. Last week we did the first half of this chapter Today we do the second half, and we're going to see generosity displayed by Nehemiah in three aspects. So let me just read, I'm just going to read it through for us, verse 14 through 19. Moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, until his 32nd year, 12 years, neither I 
or my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. But the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them, in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lorded it over their people, but out of reverence from God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall. All of my men were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any land. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from the surrounding nations. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, one poultry, and some poultry were prepared for me, and every 10 days, an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on these people. Remember me with favor, my God, for all I have done for these people. All right, three aspects of Nehemiah's generosity. The first one, his position. This is when we find out that Nehemiah actually became governor of Judah for 12 years. And obviously, you notice this is a little out of place in this particular story, because we are in chapter 5 where we're, t- we're hearing about the problems they're having, building the wall. We see the injustices that Nehemiah um, sees happening in his city. The next chapter, chapter 6, the wall is finished. But some, here in the middle, we see Nehemiah sort of go, step back and give us a bigger picture. Remember, this is his memoir. And he tells us he was the governor for 12 years, a position of great authority and responsibility, but also of great privilege. As the governor, Nehemiah would have seen the problems of the people and all the issues that were going on. But he also would have enjoyed some really nice things. And he tells us that they actually had an allowance for the governor that he could take advantage of to entertain the many guests that come into the city. And he chose not to use it. Never. Which is quite amazing. If you work at a company that gives you an allowance to take clients to lunch, you use it. Most everybody does. He chooses not to use it. His example of generosity starts with the way he views his position. From that position, Nehemiah can hear the cries of the people. Remember, in the early part of chapter 5, the people come to Nehemiah crying out. Look, in verse 1, it says, Now the men and their wives raise a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Nehemiah, in his position, would hear the cries of the people who were struggling from a famine, from food shortages, from financial distress. What do you do when compassion threatens to throw off your good God-sized plan? you got this great plan going, he's rebuilding the wall, and all of a sudden a problem comes and compassion is risen. Can compassion trump getting God's plan done? Yes. When compassion interrupts, the answer is you let it. You let it interrupt. Nehemiah does. He sees the reality of the injustice. Look what it says in verse 15. But the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people. They took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine, not just them, but their assistants also. And Nehemiah knew that the injustice that was going on in Judah was one that should not be ignored. And from his position, he chose not to ignore it. It was a great injustice. Nehemiah knew what was at stake 
if he chose not to let compassion interrupt his great plan. You see, if they built Jerusalem with high, thick walls, if they, if they got the walls completed and the gates made beautiful all over again, and yet injustice lived in the middle of that city, it was not the city that God wanted to rebuild. It would not be the rebuilt Jerusalem. It would not be the people of Israel being a blessing, being blessed to be a blessing, would it? And Nehemiah knew what was at stake, so he stopped. See, position matters. God gave Nehemiah that position, and he chooses to use that position of privilege to do something about injustice. He allows his heart to be moved by compassion, and rather than building his own empire, he was a good steward of the position that was given to him, entrusted to him. He never forgot that God's number one priority is the people. God's priority is always the people. Not the stuff, not the things of this world. And his example of self-denial is very much like Jesus, isn't it? You remember what Paul said about Jesus in Philippians chapter 2? Here's a little piece of it. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself Nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Jesus humbled himself. He denies himself. Deity was his right. To sit on the throne was his right. It was his privilege. He is God. And yet he chose, he denied himself that right for you and for me. And you know, we live in an age that we're we're terribly self-conscious about our rights, right? Even children know their rights. And we hold on to our rights, and we want, to, we want them to be given to us, and we want them to be followed through. We don't want to give them up, but here we see a different picture of what we can do with our rights as Christians. We see a different picture of generosity demonstrated by a willingness to give up even our rights. And that's a beautiful thing, isn't it? It's beautiful when Nehemiah does it. It's beautiful when Jesus does it. And it's beautiful when you and I do it. Generosity starts with position, and I'm convinced we are all in a position to be generous. Every single one of us. What position has God appointed you to? What privileges do you enjoy? What rights do you claim as yours? Are you a leader at your work? Are you a parent? Are you a leader in your community, in your family, here at the church? Among your friends, do you have influence over others? What position do you hold and what are you willing to give up for Jesus? And you know, I'm guessing as I was preparing for this message, I was thinking, you know, there's probably people coming today who are heavy burdened, who are financially in trouble, who are emotionally struggling, who are physically hurting, who feel absolutely overwhelmed. And the idea of being asked to be generous sounds absolutely crazy and insensitive. But here's what I do believe. I believe that no matter where we are, we can still be generous with something. And I remember growing up with a single mother and seven kids raising us all by herself. We received food, uh, grains, rice, flour, cornmeal, and beans from the government, and a pair of shoes. And most of what we received was given to us. Our clothes was hand-me-down. My uncles helped my mom build our home. We were poor by all measures. And yet, my mother always reminded us that even in this place, we could be generous. And when we took, we, 
she took us to church. My grandmother took us to church. She made sure we had something to put in the offering because no matter where we're at, we can be generous. The second aspect of Nehemiah's generosity is his motive. He actually gives us two. First, he tells us one of his motives is is reverence for God. Verse 15, but out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall. All my men were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any land. Now listen, as the governor of Nehemiah, uh, sorry, the governor of Judea, Nehemiah was entitled to land. He could have easily uh, taken a percentage of the grain, a percentage of the income. In fact, look, the uh, area was absolutely depressed, which meant that coming from an area from Syria with some wealth, there would have been a lot of great deals to purchase. It would have made sense. Nobody would have felt that he he was doing anything wrong by purchasing land and becoming even more wealthy. But he chooses not to do that. The other people had. The other people saw the, the plight of the poor as an opportunity to make even more money. Nehemiah does not. Why? Out of reverence for God, which also could be translated out of fear for God, out of love for God, out of awe for God, of knowing who God is. It made no sense for him to do that. You see, Nehemiah saw God first. When you fear God, it changes everything. When God is first, when God is before you, when the word of God is in your heart as it was for Nehemiah, when God is the object of your affection, when we take God's word seriously, when we treasure it just like Nehemiah did in our hearts, then everything changes. And it did for Nehemiah. So Nehemiah was not just motivated by his reverence for God, but he was also motivated by his sense of justice and compassion for others. In verse 17, it says, Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table. You listen, he had guests from all over coming to his home all the time. And he goes on to say all the different things they, that were brought in to feed these people who came. As a governor, in every governor's office, you have visitors regularly. And all of that he did out of his own personal wealth. Now listen, one day, a feast like this for one day would have been quite expensive. But he tells us he did this every day. His sense of compassion was that he would not demand the food allotted to him or put heavy demands on the people, additional taxes, essentially, to pay for this. He paid it out of his own pocket. Why? Because he did not ignore the needs of the people. To some extent, people had uh, perhaps gotten themselves in this trouble. I, I don't know if you go through this. This is how my mind works sometimes. Uh, when, we, when I struggle with generosity, these are the kinds of thoughts I might have. And um, please forgive me, but I'm just giving it to you how it is. It's raw. It's real. Sometimes I think, well, they got themselves in this problem. Maybe they're lazy. Maybe they wasted opportunities given to them. Maybe they have addictions and they waste all that I give them in more drugs, more alcohol, whatever that might be. Maybe they did something to deserve to be there. Maybe they're they're just living out the consequences of their actions. And anyone, anyone with me, or am I the only sinful one here? You know, I could have ignored the needs of the people. And we can too. But what happens to our hearts when we ignore justice and compassion, when we ignore the suffering of other people? It becomes callous, it shrinks, it gets hardened. We stop feeling, we stop sensing, we stop experiencing and even looking like Jesus. But when our heart 
does not ignore the suffering of other people. And we give out of whatever capacity we can. Our heart grows. It grows in generosity. It grows in faith. It grows in our understanding of who God is. It gains wisdom and kindness. And it looks more and more like Jesus. The more generous we are, the more we look like Jesus. The greater and the more beautiful we are. What are the injustices in the world that are hardest for you to ignore? And if you can't think of one, which injustices drive you to change the channel or change the conversation or tune out because they're too hard? You know, there are great injustices in our world, and you probably know these, but this is the common challenge that we as human enter into, and that is that we come numb to them. I have a friend who works in Cambodia, and she said to me, There's tremendous trouble with sex trafficking. As an outsider, she's from Sri Lanka, and she went to Cambodia. She was heartbroken at seeing children being sold into sex slavery. And she asked the locals, how can you live here and watch this and not do something about it? And, you know, they said, well, this is how it is. I don't know what to do. I've spoken to friends in Kenya and in Uganda. Specifically, I had a lunch with someone in Uganda, and he was saying to me, there's tremendous corruption in our government. And that's just the way it is. I can't do anything about it. So we become numb to the problem. We close our hearts. We don't let it change us. Nehemiah did not do that. The third thing we see in Nehemiah's uh, generosity is his reward. More importantly, where he saw his reward coming from. Look in verse 19. Remember me with favor, my God, for all I have done for these people. Now, this part of Nehemiah's generosity could easily be misunderstood. In fact, lots of commentators that I read in preparation for today kind of say some pretty nasty things about Nehemiah right about now. Here's what they say. They say this is where Nehemiah goes into self-glorification, where he starts to say, look, I've I've been good. I'm drawing attention to myself. And, you know, the, the complaint that they have is, well, Nehemiah was a governor, right, a politician. This is what politicians do. They write them books about themselves and show how wonderful they are. Nehemiah, Nehemiah's letter is actually his memoirs. But I think, and many other commentators think, that that's a misunderstanding of what Nehemiah is saying here. What Nehemiah is actually saying is that he trusts that his reward comes from God. He's not saying, look at me, I am, sin- I am sinless. Look at me, how wonderful I am. Rather, he's claiming that everything he did, he did it with good faith and with good motives. And that he had showed a confidence that God would be the judge of that. That it would be God who would be giving him all that he would receive. He's saying no to the things of the world. See, most of us, our reward comes often from accolades that we may get. People see us doing something good. Maybe we get rewards from um, what benefits we might get from generosity, but he chooses not to do that. You see, he was willing to let go of the rewards that come from the world, and he chose instead simply to look to God to reward him. And we're not told how God answers that prayer, which is good, because most likely we would use it as a formula, which is not what Nehemiah wants us to do. What Nehemiah is actually showing us is that generosity is a God-given medicine that counteracts greed. You see, he counteracts his sense of greed by simply looking at generosity as even that a gift from God. You cannot hoard what you give away. 
and the rewards come strictly from God. So to wrap that up, Nehemiah teaches us a lot about generosity, doesn't it? It starts with the position that we hold, and we're all in a position to be generous to some level. Because we've been given much, right? We have our life, which means we have time. Our time is a great gift we can give others. Our position, our ability, our um, talents, our talents, our treasures, all the things that we have are places from which we can be generous, And our generosity is motivated by God's love for us and his generosity that he has for us and his desire for us to love others. And our generosity, as Nehemiah teaches us, is not rewarded by the world or even by ourselves. It's rewarded by God himself in his way and in his timing. That's what we learn about Nehemiah. And like Jesus, all we're asked to do is to simply show up. And like Nehemiah, all we're asked to do is to listen, to watch, and to lean in. You know, Jesus compels us to be generous people because God's a giver, right? And he says that when we're generous, we're led to trust God even more. That's his formula. And the voice of the world says that we ought to be takers, that we ought to collect, focus on receiving rather than giving, focus on consumption, having more. And then Christmas is like the highlight of that, isn't it? That's when we go all out in consumption. Billions of dollars spent. This Christmas, we at Mariner's Church, we want to celebrate Christmas different. Remembering that God saw us when we were away from him and he sent his greatest gift, his son. That's what motivates us to celebrate Christmas different, that we have received the generosity of God. Thank you again for listening. Make sure to learn more about Inez Franklin at www.inezfranklin.com. You can help share these teachings by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and sending this episode to a friend. Make sure to follow Inez Franklin on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and more, where she is engaging with the community and inviting us to participate with God and his work together. Thanks again. Thanks again.